Hello, and welcome to Entangled, the podcast where we explore the science of consciousness, the true nature of reality, and what it means to be a spiritual being having a human experience. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm joined by David Lawrence, author of Are We Really Biochemical Robots? In this episode, we discuss how David's conflicting perspectives with Sam Harris's book, Free Will, led to his own writing journey. David describes the four prongs of free will and the relationship between determinism and pattern recognition. We next discuss how the possibility of past lives, life after death, and the hard problem of consciousness factor into the deterministic argument. We discuss the possibility of God, the credibility of astrology, and how quantum entanglement could be related to astrology. From there, we lament the inertia of scientific consensus and discuss the connection between free will and morality. Next, we speculate on Sam Harris's integrity and whether other influences could be impacting his perspectives on determinism. Then we discuss David's future writings and the nature of the self. We end the conversation considering archetypes and the distinction between influence and causation. This outro is titled Free Will, Determinism, and Natural Law. Outro is available for this and all episodes at entangledpodcast.substack.com. Music from the show available on the Spotify playlist, Entangled the Vibes. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Entangled. I'm your host, Jordan Euclid, and today I'm super excited to be joined by David Lawrence, the author of Are We Really Biochemical Robots? David, how are you today? I'm good, Jordan. How are you doing? Doing great, thank you. Really appreciate you coming on the show to talk a little bit about free will and determinism. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, yeah, maybe to kick things off, would love if you would tell the folks, what is the book you wrote, Are We Really Biochemical Robots, about? Well, it's Springboard was a book that Sam Harris wrote called Free Will. I came upon it accidentally, being a Sam Harris fan and enjoying his other books. And unlike the others, I didn't have an intuitive sense that this was the right direction. But I didn't know enough about the topic, spent some time researching the topic, and decided to write a response, an article to the book, which is a short book. And that article became 45 pages and 90 pages and 150 pages. And the book came about. And during the course of that, the subject turned from away from Sam Harris as a springboard, his views on determinism, to that springboard being representative of determinism in general, which it is, with some creative flourishes and arguments that are unique to him. So that's how it came about. Just had I not picked that book up, we would not be here today. Unless it was determined that I would pick it up. I <laughs> Unless Sam's got the last laugh after all. <laughs> so maybe just to start with the basics, what are free will and what is determinism? Free will, I would define exactly as common sense defines it. We have the ability to think for ourselves, to make decisions that aren't forced upon us, to control our actions so that we can implement those decisions or respond to others, and to influence reality which requires a world that isn't predetermined that can be susceptible to influence. Sometimes it's called the ability to do otherwise. So those four prongs or so that I mentioned really sort of spreads over that ability to do otherwise without coercion. Could you talk about what those four prongs are? Well, they're all interrelated. The first one is thinking for ourselves. According to determinism, every thought in our brain was predestined at the Big Bang, and we had to think it, 
and had to believe it, and it had to occur exactly when it did, and we have no control over it. The same thing can be said for decisions, sort of the subcategory of thought or experience. Everything we decide was determined at the Big Bang, and we have no control over our decisions any more than any other thought or experience in our heads. And so it follows the same as to actions. We don't control our actions. Everything we do is controlled by causal forces that go back to the Big Bang. And then the final prong is again implied in the others, which we have to do by doing those things. We need to have a universe that is receptible to influence. So we couldn't do any of that if they didn't have an effect on reality. So that's, that, that's the fourth prong. So the ability to do otherwise is sort of encompassed in all of those aspects. Interesting. And then how about determinism? Determinism is pretty much what common sense would take to be the opposite. There's various versions, but basically there was this explosion called the Big Bang, and it set off a row of cosmic dominoes, and those dominoes topple forward in a causal chain up to the present moment and determine everything that's happening. So everything that's happening, everything I'm thinking, everything you're thinking, everything we're doing, all bodily twitches, how I'm gesturing with my arms, everything is determined. None of it's within our control. And everything has to be the way it is. And the one caveat to that is most determinists admit that there's randomness in the universe. So randomness can be sprinkled in for spice among the causal connections. Interesting. If you could, you know, maybe summarize Sam Harris or the this the consensus determinist view, I mean, what what would their argument be as to why they believe the world is deterministic? Well, I'd start with saying where the argument sort of comes from the genesis, which is my theory, which is it's largely based on science and the scientific outlook, going back to Newton and Galileo and before, but the contemporary say scientific views that the world is a bunch of causal connections and science studies causes and what happens here and how it affects what happens there in a very basic abstract level. The other thing is comp is evolution and how we live our lives. I mean, we have to, if we're going to survive, if we're going to understand things, we have to get into pattern recognition. So we see things that recur over and over again. And it's good to know that the lion is always coming from that side. So maybe the lion's nest or den is over there and that the enemy camp is coming from that direction and so forth. So pattern recognition is very important. Ultimately, critically important. It doesn't mean it's based on causation, but it is based on patterns that have you know, practical and fundamental consequences. So that from the moment you're born, you know, you learn. Don't touch this. If you cry, you get that, et cetera, et cetera. You're making relationships that, that ordinary common sense would say are causal. Every now and then I can become a determinist because... Most of the time, determinists are really free will advocates. We can get into that and the contradictions involved in being a determinist. So anyway, I think that their basic argument is that th this is what science says. The world is determined. They have a number of other arguments that don't make a lot of sense. One of the arguments that about half dozen, one of the ones that's m most obvious that Mr. Harris uses a lot is that we don't create our biology. We don't control where we were born. We don't create our genetics. We don't choose our parents, all that stuff. And he seems to be suggesting that we would have to have free will would require we do that. In fact, more than suggesting, he's got a sentence which says free will would require 
knowing and controlling all the factors that determine us, all the factors that determine us. It's not just Harris's argument, but I don't see how it works. There's no distinction made between factors of influence, conditions that we don't control on the basis of which free will can be exercised. There's a difference between that and control. Influence is not control. Conditions are not, isn't determined. And no distinction is made by that argument. Nothing says that we have to choose our parents in order to interact with them and disobey their rules when we're old enough to. Nothing says, and I don't mean that in the sense that free will is true. I'm saying that nothing logically precludes the fact that we don't create the conditions under which free will would have to exist. That means it can't exist. That's just a strange leap. And in fact, it's diametrically the opposite. Because when you think about it, free will has to have conditions and circumstances. And those are limits and those are constraints. Those are all limits and constraints. We, we free will, has to have something to push against. You know, you can't walk if your shoes aren't pushing against the resistance, the limitations of gravity and the ground. So free will can only operate subject to conditions and restraints. It needs them. That's what it forges. That's what it works against. So to say that because there are conditions, we don't have free will, major fundamental conditions, genetics and so forth, doesn't make sense. It's the reverse. Free will needs conditions like that in order to operate. So that's an example of one of the arguments. A, certainly agree with you that the determinist view has a lot of flaws in the argument. And I think one of the places that it's frustrating, right, is it's very limited. Determinism and materialism, I, I can kind of group together. And I know they're not the same, so I don't want to don't do that accidentally. But I do think that there's a lot of overlap in, in the kind of consensus theories there. And one of the issues I take, which you highlighted, is that they lack any type of metaphysical creativity, right? And, the, and you mentioned this idea of we don't pick our parents, we don't you know, control where we're born. But at the end of the day, we don't know what happens to our essence, to our consciousness in between life and death, right? It is quite possible that there is some interim state, right? Some way for us to decide that we do want to incarnate in a body or in a region or in a time or in a planet, whatever it may be. And who is Sam to say that's not the case, right? So I guess with all that said, like what my question to you is, how do you think how do you think that belief in there being no such thing as past lives or future lives or life after death, right? And the experience of consciousness, how does that factor into the deterministic views? I'm not sure that it does in the sense that if everything is determined, it could be determined that we're reborn as a abstract possibility without taking any necessary position as to empirically what we have evidence and so forth. But determinists would say, look, okay, so you die, something happens, you're reborn. And whatever it is, we may not understand the mechanics of it and the physical component. And this is where perhaps physicalists, materialists, determinists could depart ways a little bit. But to stay out of that swamp, whatever happens, whether it's energetic or physical or non-physical or forces that we don't yet couldn't comprehend under the existing conceptual framework, it's all determined. So you can say you have a consciousness, you feel you're choosing and being reborn. And, uh, you know, that's okay. That's what causes fundamentally started at the Big Bang that make you believe. That makes sense. 
You know, and it seems like, and frankly, just a bit of a lazy argument, right? You can just kind of write anything off that way. And I think for me, it, it, an important, a very important element of like, what exactly is will? What is thought, right? And then you get into the idea of the hard problem of consciousness, right? If everything is determined, why do we still have a subjective experience of reality? So I'd be curious to get your thoughts on, you know, the, what are your views on consciousness and the nature of thought? Well, it's interesting. I want to pick up on something you just said, because determinism is based on something that's far more incoherent than just not acknowledging the role of consciousness and so forth. And that is this. if It's self-contradictory. You have to have a role of consciousness. Put aside whether it's determined, you have to have it. And determinism is fundamentally contradictory because it's saying that all of our thoughts, everything we think is forced upon us, was all predestined. We have no control over it. We can't do otherwise than think, right, what we're thinking. So you can say to the determinist, well, wait a second, you're purporting to be a consciousness making, telling me what's true. It's true that the world is determined. It's true that I have no control over my thoughts, etc." If that's true, determinist, then the thoughts you just said about that were determined and you were always had to believe them and you had no control over them. And maybe most important, you don't believe them because it's true. Nobody believes something because it's true in a determined universe where we don't control our thoughts. We believe them because we're caused to believe them. So determinist, you're not telling me anything true because you're conceding that everything you think was forced upon you, just like everybody else. And now you're telling me it was forced upon you to believe that determinism is true. So determinism invalidates all truth claims because there is no truth that can be gotten to if all of our thoughts are forced upon us. We believe true whatever we're forced to believe true. So the determinist believes true, determinism true for the same reasons. And if the determinist responds and says, no, you don't understand, determinism really is true, now let me tell you why, A, B, C, D, D. The response is, but wait a second, those two are just compelled thoughts that you had no choice. You were forced to think them and you were forced to believe they're true. So, so let me get this straight. You're using one, one chain of five or six thoughts that you had to believe, that you had no choice about, forced upon you in order to prove this other thought that you had to believe, that you don't believe it. it's true based on the fact that it's true. Well, okay, have a nice day. So the point is that the claim we are determined or the claim that all of our thoughts, that we don't control any of our thoughts or all of our thoughts are causally compelled is a self-contradictory claim. It is taking away the basis of truth to say what I believe true is whatever I'm forced to believe. But, and here's the contradiction, the inconsistency, but I'm telling you, determinism is true. So on the one hand, they're validating that determinism is not true because they have the ability to ascertain what's true independent of being forced to believe what's true. They're talking out of both sides of their mouths. And that's the fundamental flaw. So to get back to what you were saying, it's this recognition of the role of consciousness they're making a truth claim that can only be made by a consciousness who has the ability to look at about reality and to recognize patterns and make truth claims that can be validated or not. 
in a determined world, if they're right, you can never valid, validate a truth claim because that would just be another belief that you were forced to believe. Oh, this claim is true. Oh, okay. This claim has substance. Well, that doesn't have any substance if you were forced to believe it. So by making a truth claim, they are validating what you are saying. How do they deal with it? You know, consciousness and creativity. They're being creative. They're assuming the truth is out. That violates determinism. Because there's no such thing that you can know. So then as a proponent of free will, how do you define truth? Okay, well, first of all, I, I wouldn't s characterize it that I'm a proponent of free will. I'm a non-proponent or de-proponent or anti-proponent of determinism for that reason and many other reasons, that, that, that reason being that their claims are inherently contradictory and have no truth value. They can't say anything true by their own terms. I would, I would say I'm more of an agnostic and the reasons for that, well, I think there's two, at least two reasons for that. One is there are so many fundamental questions about the universe that science can't answer. We don't know how the universe began. Big Bang is a theory, but there's others, Big Bounce and others. We don't know if there was anything beforehand. We don't know why it's expanding. We don't know why there's a major conflict between the two most advanced theories of physics, relativity theory and quantum theory, they conflict with each other. They can't be reconciled after at least 50 years of attempts. And one day they perhaps will be and we'll know some other answers. But continuing on, we don't know the nature of consciousness, as you called it, the hard problem of consciousness is unsolved. How life arose from matter is unsolved. How consciousness arose from life is that none of these questions can be answered by current science. And so I think it's prudent to say that with all these open questions about the cosmos, it doesn't seem plausible to say, oh, by the way, but we're determined. But we don't have this fundamental aspect of consciousness called free will, even though we don't know what consciousness is or how it works, or I think you said earlier why it has any purpose or if it does have any purpose. So in the larger context of scientific knowledge or what we know about reality, free will isn't at the top of that list. We have to solve a lot of bigger cosmic problems before we get to free will. Like, why is there life? And what does that all mean? So, so that's the first response. I think you have to be agnostic yeah. in terms of knowledge or scientific knowledge. And the other when you're saying agnostic in that sense, I mean, how do you mean that? Because I typically think of agnostic in terms of like belief in God. Mm -hmm. Is that how you're saying? Yeah, that? in the sense of it could be one or the other, and I'm not taking the position. I'm open to the possibility that it, there might be God or there might not be God. Gotcha. Very helpful. What about with regards to astrology? Do you put any credence in that? Do I put any credence in that? I don't. Yes and no. It's interesting. From a scientific perspective, point of view, there's no mechanism that's been uh, uh, proven. It's to use the word entanglement. You know, there's influence going on in entanglement that can't be explained by anything physical that we possibly know. So you have to keep an open mind as to what influence is all about in this universe, because that's another thing we don't know. Until Bell's theorem was proved, there was no evidence that there was anything but physical contact the local influence. That would rule out astrology and a lot of other things. 
Bell's theorem was proved, and it shows that quantum effects, in a sense, to, to put it in a nutshell, don't depend on causation and Newtonian principles. That, that there's something about influence that has nothing to do with physical events and has nothing to do with local contact, which is our transfer of energy that Newtonian science is based on. So entanglement kind of leads right into astrology because the idea is that there's some correlation, causal or correlation, but a necess- some sort of necessary, not arbitrary, let's say, connect between planetary and alignment and so forth. I'm sure you know more about and aspects of our lives. And what I think entanglement says is don't be so quick to dismiss influence that isn't physical and isn't based on local contact because we don't know a whole lot about the nature of that kind of influence, let alone what it applies to. I think that comes down to being somewhat agnostic, you know, open to the possibility because entanglement (laughs) really paved the way to open up the doors for some stuff that we can't deny. It's just beyond comprehension. I mean, in every sense of the word, beyond comprehension. And I don't know how much you're audience knows about it, but just to be simple, the non-locality of entanglement without getting into any details is something, you make something happen here and something happens over there across 25 galaxies. It doesn't matter how long away. There's some kind of non-causal, non-physical, you know, non-contact, no means of communication. It's faster than the speed of light and nothing can go faster than the speed of light, according to relativity theory. That's in essence, so it's, it's showing the existence of non-physical, non-local, non-physical influence, and that it exists, and that that's now been proven with Bell's theorem. It doesn't prove that the world isn't determined, because there are people who take the position that in a broader band of reality, everything could be determined, including that non-local influence. There's no evidence for that. As far as I know, and it's a you know a disputed theory, and not, there's no consensus about it, and it's not harbored by a majority or anything like that. But logically, theoretically, it doesn't preclude some other principle that we don't know about from guiding this non-local influence. That was a long way around astrology, but it did involve entanglement, which is very much in the free will issue, because free will also needs to take it back home. If, there, if influence could only be physical by contact. Well, the claim is that free will is coming from intentions. Intentions are something more than the physical correlates of, you know, neural firings in the brain. So there's something non-physical about the connection that you'd have to have in order for free will to influence physicality. That makes Entanglement sense. really opens the door to free will. It opens the door to astrology and other kinds of potential connections that we don't understand and that aren't physical. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense to me. And I think, you know, as we were kind of touching on before we started recording, you know, I I would always consider myself very much a proponent of free will and certainly still do. But also as I've learned more of like the Vedic cosmology and the way that they postulate the universe, right? A lot of it comes down to this idea that as above, so below, and that there's both free will and determinism, right? That we are a microcosm of the macrocosm of our solar system, of our universe, And so to your point about physics, right, it ties into that as well, where you think about the probabilistic nature of reality and what astrology is really meant to do is to help you think about when 
the circumstances are most in your favor, right? And so it's, I think Maharishi Mahesh Yogi refers to it as like the science of luck and technology of prediction or something like that, right? And that these are very real phenomena. And just because we don't understand them in our materialistic paradigm or because, you know, our, we're used to living in this three-dimensional reality above the Planck scale where things seem very discrete, yes or no, when in reality, we know at the fundamental quantum mechanical level, everything is probabilistic. Well, yes and no. Like all hard questions, ultimately, there's no one theory of quantum science. There's a whole bunch of dozens of theories. And there's about five or six prominent, most talked about, maybe most respected, depending on who you are. And there, there's a split among those. You know, Half of them, or roughly half of them, go along with a probabilistic model of the universe, and about half of them go along with a deterministic model. So in terms of pure science today, it's an open question. We hear a lot about that quantum science is based on probabilities. And for all we know, there's a probability component to it. But there are that has not been resolved. It, it's spoken of as if it's been resolved popular press. Oh, yes, it's a probabilistic universe. But that's not what contemporary science says. The question is completely open. Interesting. But again, I think it's one of those where, you know, the deterministic arguments just don't hold much water in my view, right? It's, it seems like it's one where it's folks dragging their feet, right, frankly. Like, and, and you see you see it in other areas of science. Like, I don't know if you follow Graham Hancock's work at all, but, you know, he's really pushed the, the conventional paradigm of archaeology right and the history of human civilization and how old we are and despite you know the evidence it seems like once the world is locked into a specific viewpoint about something like this it becomes very hard to change their views on that so i don't know i'm curious to get your thoughts i mean do you on i guess that topic in general of just the inertia of scientific consensus yes that's unfortunately true in other areas besides science but I, I don't know if you know much about the early history of quantum mechanics, but it was brutal. I read a book that did a great job of saying what went on in the early years, and I don't know much about it, but it was controlled by a guy named Niels Bohr, basically, who had such power that, and such favor was courted to him, and he had a screwball theory when it comes down to it, but you don't have to go into that, and it's been the rest of physics has sort of been about discrediting his screwball theory in some respects, but you had to court his favor and articles being published in science journals were quashed because Niels Bohr didn't agree with that theory. You couldn't come up with an alternative theory. I mean, I'm exaggerating to make a point. His compatriots and colleagues had other takes and Einstein was there debating him about stuff, but Einstein was able to do that. But imagine all of academia being subject to this reigning rule of, of, they call it the Copenhagen School. It was crazy. People were fired. You know, books were suppressed. Papers were doctored. One of the most famous now interpreted, many worlds interpretation of quantum mechanics was submitted to somebody who had some fealty to Bohr who wouldn't let the paper go out in the form that its author who invented the theory proposed. So there's some stories from scientific intransigence, and it's fascinating to read about when, what went on. This is just skimming the surface of the, the power plays and mayhem of the prevailing orthodoxy of those in power. It was like a papal system in which 
if you didn't give the Pope what he needed, you were out, you know, didn't get to go into the quantum Vatican, not even on a free pass on days when the public couldn't go in. So yeah, there, there is a lot of that. Absolutely. And the strange thing about it is that one of the themes I hear you saying is that they're not recognizing the role of consciousness and creativity and that it's not all about quarks banging into quarks or what have you. And I'm saying it's worse than that, 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 that it's having it both ways in a self-contradictory way. So, for example, a determinist like Sam Harris writes a book of advocacy. The world is determined. We don't have free will. Everything was predestined since the Big Bang, blah, 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 blah. Okay. He's writing a book of advocacy to, to persuade or influence people that they should consider his outlook. And if they believe it, that his arguments are sound, agree with him and maybe change their minds. None of that is possible in a determined universe. How can you persuade anybody of anything? The mere act of persuasion itself assumes that the person on the other side has the ability to process what you're telling them and that what they're going to think can be influenced by you. How can anything be influenced if, if it was always predetermined? So, so the very act of being a human, right, and writing a book to reach an audience and say, hey, this is what, how it works, violates determinism. Doing that affirms that determinism isn't true. It affirms that you can influence people. It, determine, it, it affirms that you can control your beliefs and you're telling people what you think is true. It affirms they can control their beliefs and so forth. So, and this is in every determinist statement, every action a determinist makes. So it's something I often say, which is there's no such thing as a determinist. They can think in their heads that this is how the world works, and then they go back to being a free will advocate like everybody else, and they write books that's going to change the universe, and they make a deal with a publisher and want to get more money because they can influence the publisher into paying maybe a little bit more. It's all affirming free will, as I say, oh, by the way, the world is determined. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's so funny, the contradictions. And it seems like if you're establishing a mentality that, you know, we have no free will and everything is determined, it almost can become an excuse for immorality. Do you agree Absolutely. with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't. How can anyone be responsible if what they did was forced on them, if they had no choice in it, they did it without, it without any consent. They couldn't have done otherwise. And common sense is as simple as common sense. <laughs> if you were forced to do something and you couldn't do otherwise, you had no choice, you're not responsible. If you're a hostage in a bank robbery and you're grabbed out and a gun's to your head and you're asked to help them put money in the bag, you are not responsible for robbing a bank. Technically, you are right? If we didn't have this concept of awareness and causation and understanding of moral consequences and so forth, nobody thinks anybody's responsible for doing anything at gunpoint. So morality goes out the window. That's disputed by every determinist. And they come up with various ways to dance around the idea that if you are forced to do what you do, you can't be responsible in any sense in which we understand the concept of responsibility. The other thing that goes out the other bathroom window is morality. How can there be any such thing as morality if all our thoughts about what's right and wrong were predetermined at the Big Bang 
<clears throat> we're going to think it's right or wrong to, to lynch somebody or it's right or wrong to treat a criminal this way. We can't base any, anything on moral principles because everything we think that are moral principles are just what we were forced to think. There's nothing that we can connect with called moral truth. If everything we think about right and wrong was we were forced to think. And if the cause of our belief in what's right and wrong is blind, insentient, non-thinking, physical forces, they ain't giving us any moral truth. They're just blind physical forces, right? So morality goes out the window too. And determinists have some fancy dancing arguments to try and resurrect it. In Harris's book, his solution to it is let's pretend as if we have free will. Let's take the quote, I think he calls it conventional outline, and we'll use that to determine degrees of responsibility and so forth. In essence, it's pretending that we have free will. So he's basically saying, which is true, determinism cannot offer any guidelines because every thought is equal. It's just forced upon us. No thought has more merit than another. Now, when they say that one thought has more merit, they're just not being determinists. You hear them say that, but then that's the thing. Nobody's a real determinist. So Harris's point of view is let's pretend. And then what he does in his examples is he applies free will values. Well, if a guy was, you know, brutalized as a kid and he's deranged and someone's teasing at him, he's going to have less responsibility and we're going to, you know, not hold him as responsible as somebody who's in another situation, all based on how free will would look at it. And the test between all these examples he's given is how, to what extent was free will impaired? You know, if you're under the influence, if you have a brain tumor, obviously you're terribly impaired, you're less responsible for what you do. You're a baby with a gun and it goes off because you're playing with it. You're not responsible if it murders, kills somebody, right? Well, these are all free will values because the behind it all is how voluntary was the action? Was there awareness? Was there knowledge? Was there a sense of a moral compass at play? So that's his solution. Different determinists have other fun solutions that, that don't work any more than his. It also seems like the type of philosophy that could be misused by authoritarian governments, right? To convince people to be more subservient, to abdicate their civil liberties because you don't have free will anyway. So why not continue to be subservient to your government? Exactly. And they're, tur they're turning the people into to cogs, to mechanical cogs that believe they don't have any free will. And I'm guessing that's the genesis of your book title, Biochemical Robots. Yeah, there's a line in Harris's book somewhere that says, we are biochemical robots. And obviously that's a metaphor for the fact that we're, everything we do is mechanical. We have no choice or anything like that. But the material stuff out of which we are robots based is biochemical. So we're living robots. So from the original article form, I said, well, I guess the best title for my article is, are we really biochemical robots? Which, which really means, are we determined? Are we determined robots or are we something more? And so I thought it was a fitting title, a fitting metaphor for determinism. Um, so David, I have a maybe a little spicier question if you're open to it. Sure. I like spices. All right. All right. I love it. Do you think it's possible that Sam Harris doesn't even necessarily believe these views himself? Okay. That's too spicy of a question for me. Could I have a little less spice? Well, of course I don't know. He seems like a sincere person with good intentions. I don't have any reason to believe he would 
put out something that he doesn't believe in. I think he believes it as best I would guess. I think he's sincerely, these are sincere beliefs of his. Yeah. And they very well may be. The reason I bring up this topic is because I actually have some reasons to believe maybe he is not acting in best of faith, right? Not acting with integrity. Have you ever heard of an organization called edge.org? It sounds vaguely familiar. I, I can't say it's a bright light bulb. Yeah. So it's an organization that has been around since I want to say like the late eighties in one way or another. The thesis was, you know, it's getting together kind of billionaire tycoons and high ranking folks, you know, within the sciences and academia and every year would throw an annual billionaires dinner. But it turns out that there's really only been one person who has been like kind of the main sponsor and financier of the edge.org over the past. I'm guessing you're familiar with this man. His name's Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's it, what's really interesting is if you look at edge.org, you can still see the people who are contributors to that organization, right? And some of the most famous names, you know, in science and academia, Sam Harris is on that list. You can still on his web, on that website see see a lot of kind of old pictures from those events as well. And Sam is, you know, still in a number of those photos from those dinners. And anyway, the reason I bring this up is, you know, one of the things that investigative journalist Whitney Webb has really done is go back and trace kind of Epstein's whole web and blackmail enterprise. And she highlights edge.org. So she, she wrote two books called One Country Under Blackmail, all about Jeffrey Epstein and, you know, his rise to power. But she's the one who first introduced me to edge.org. And what, you know, what the theory is that this could possibly have been an event that was used to compromise high-ranking scientists and folks of you know intellectual standing and then force them to go along with engineering the society to believe things that could eventually lead to more authoritarianism, such as the advocacy of determinism. Well, I don't... Okay, I want to say first that I understand Sam endorsing them because I'd want to get an on a list of invitations to a billionaire's party. I mean, sign me up. What do I have to endorse? I don't know what his views are about the organization, and I don't know if her theories about the organization are accurate. I, I, I just don't know one way or the other. I haven't, you know, investigated it. You know, it sounds like you would want to do a fair amount of, and she may have a fair amount of evidence put forward about what their goals are or how nefarious they are since they're not going to come out and say we're, trying to create an authoritarian regime based on determinism. The other thing that, that I would comment on is, I, well, two things. Determinism has been around for a long time. You know, the whole enlightenment, post-enlightenment science is based on determinism. And so I don't think it's necessarily fair or accurate to, to say that determinism is a significant cause of where social movements and societies and governments are going. There's a lot of other, if it has any influence, I think it does have some. I don't say it has none, but there's so many more things going on that affect things. I don't think Hitler or Mao, you know, rose to power on the basis of determinism, you know? So, so even though they may be consciously inculcating a very mechanistic, you know, by the rules, you follow what you're told kind of point of view, which is some replication of physical determinism. 
But I look forward to to reading. Now, her stuff isn't on Edge. Hers is separate from Edge. But Edge, that's right. Yeah, Edge tracks some of the same stuff. Yeah. So Edge was the actual organization, like the quote unquote philanthropy that was funded by Epstein and would host the dinners. Whitney Webb's just a, an investigative journalist who has you know just exposed a lot of Jeffrey Epstein's crimes. Her books are called One Nation Under Blackmail, and she's got a website called Unlimited Hangout. No, and look, I certainly am not trying to to overstate where Harris is coming from, and I agree it's not like it would just be a deterministic viewpoint that would potentially be driving authoritarianism by any means. I think it's my point's more that it could be part of a broader use of psychological warfare, right, to kind of determine determine the path of the relationship between government and the human population going forward. My sense is that Sam Harris is an intellectual and motivated by, you know, working out ideas as best he can. And he's a smart, articulate guy. And the books he wrote about fundamentalist determinism are terrific. There's only two books of his that I disagreed with. And this is one. And the other one is the related book on morality. But I can't imagine that he's motivated by, to participate in a, some kind of larger political scheme to, you know, influence, you know, social movements. He's really a, an academic kind of guy who's trying to work it out. But that's, look, that's my opinion. I don't know. I'm not saying he's a saint. I, I really honestly don't know. No, I, I obviously don't either. So I just, you know, like, like spitballing different ideas. So I appreciate you going down that rabbit hole. Oh, with me. sure. I'm happy to go any, down any rabbit hole as long as I'm allowed out of it. <laughs> of course, that's too funny. And, and you know, know, there's a lot of crazy stuff that people say. I'm not saying that this woman is, but there's a lot of crazy stuff said about a lot of things. So we got to be mindful of that. Totally. I mean, in one book, Sam Harris was one of the candidates for the assassin of John Kennedy. Did you know that? <laughs> and I think it ought to be considered seriously. No, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff out there. And I would want to do more investigating. For sure. Now, what was the date of that billionaires get together this year? I want to put it on my calendar. <laughs> I'll send you an invite. Thank you. Yeah. If I don't get yours, I'll ask Sam if he'll get me in. Yeah. You probably have better luck with Sam. So what are your thoughts in, in terms of going forward from here? I do like, do you plan to write additional books? Or are you going to continue researching determinism versus free will? Well, that is a continuing ongoing effort. It's such a complicated subject and it's so hard to find people who can just hone in and focus on what you want to focus on if you're trying to figure out some part of it. So that's going to be an ongoing pro- process as it still is. So that won't stop. And I'll have to put one new edition out after another if I find there's a whole new aspect to it, um, which there could be tomorrow just on the basis of scientific evidence. I don't know about the future in terms of books. And I've toyed with various ideas, and one of them is sort of related that I think is kind of funny, which has to do with, you know, is there a self? Is there an individual self? And it strikes me not unlike the contradiction of determinists seeking approval or consent or influencing and so forth to be an individual, to be a self, as we normally think of a self, saying there's no such thing as a self. I find that almost as as self-contradictory. There could be a higher self or a greater self or more knowledgeable self, a self of a different kind. But 
there's often these claims made to the effect that, you know, the individual self is an illusion. Really? So, so, so you're an illusion telling us there's an illusion. Huh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of like a determinist saying that what I'm saying true is a play of quarks and leptons and bosons and all that stuff. It's just, you know. So, so a bunch of leptons are talking to another lepton or two and saying, hey, here's how things are. So I think it's pretty hard to deny that there's a, a, an individual self, except within a scheme of some other hierarchies. But to deny that it exists altogether goes a little too far. And I hear it a lot in, in, in spiritual literature. So I'm interested in that. But like free will, that's such a big topic. I mean, think of all the traditions that maintain some version of there's no self and for different reasons based on different mythology. So I'm talking myself out of it in real time. <laughs> but it's a possibility. You never know. Well, David, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show today. I guess, you know, as, as we wrap up the conversation, is there any recommendations for listeners in terms of, you know, where they can find you, where they can buy your book and that kind of thing? Yeah, well, we have a website called biochemicalrobots.com. No surprise there. And you can get to Instagram and Facebook and Twitter by just, you know, searching for biochemical robots. And if any of your listeners want to write to me on the website has an email address and I read them and respond. The other thing is that there's a special edition illustrated version of are we really biochemical robots that I've been working on. It should be out in a couple of weeks. I thought it was kind of a fun subject sort of on the heady side in some sense to sort of just put into a pictorial version and there's some cool illustrations of entanglement things great artists working on it so that's coming up the illustrated version very cool are you doing the illustrations oh, yourself? No, no i couldn't draw a stick cartoon i can't even read my own handwriting two minutes after i wrote it i don't know what it is i'm a, a fantastic artist I'll send you some of the stuff that's, that's not finalized just so you can see it. Really cool. I mean, that's really good. He's, he's terrific. So that's coming up, and I think that's kind of fun. And my only parting shot, I guess, would be that there's a slightly different way of saying the version you were talking about of influencing society by a philosophical attitude. And I think it, I would describe it working like this, which is that, 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 we need free will, right, in order to decide, in order to evaluate, judge, make decisions, can control our actions, everything we've been talking about. And whether or not we have it, philosophies that put out were a determined cause in a cosmic machine are putting out there a vibe which says, you're just a mechanical machine. And I'm not saying that vibe would result in people acting that way that otherwise wouldn't. Nevertheless, it's an energy, it's a thought, it's a paradigm, it's a, <clears throat> you know, an archetype, let's say, that is resonating in some fashion out there. And I think it's not a healthy thing. You know, I would talk about in the book about would you teach your kids that everything they say and do, they have no responsibility for it because they were forced to do it what kind of society would that be, you know? And, okay, you can tell them a lie and tell them and base, justify the lie by they're not yet ready to handle it. 
just like you wouldn't put them behind a car. But you don't, that's just an illustration, a metaphor for the fact that when they're big kids, you really don't want to get that energy out there. That's at the end of the day, that's what we are, you know, and what I do is determined. And again, I don't think it necessarily plays on a conscious level, but I think it is part of a cultural mythology and that has, that has some tangible consequences that we just can't, you know, say exactly in determinate form what they are. But they have to have some. So that's, my, that's sort of my version of the fact that it's not an unimportant subject that you're putting out the idea that we can't think for ourselves. I don't mean you, but determinist philosophy that, that we can't think for ourselves and everything we do is determined and we have no choice in it and our actions aren't controlled by us. I don't think that's a good thing to put out there on any level, especially because it hasn't been determined, no pun intended, that it's true. And especially because there's so many flaws in determinism, we've covered a couple of them here. You know, there's several more that are just as problematic. And yet putting out there as this is true, not this could be true. No, it's not. And you also, you mentioned the idea of archetypes. I mean, what do you think, what do you think that is? We could have a five hour discussion of that. I don't know. I mean, there's, again, there's so many different versions of that. Uh, and what it means, and whether it's conscious or whether it's physical or whether it's some combination. I don't know. I've not done enough study on it to say one way or the other. But I think the general idea is that there's a large set of guiding beliefs that are in play throughout culture and civilization, and they have an impact on our behavior. And if you define it that way, I would agree. Whether it's a structure of big picture beliefs or some engram in residing somewhere in our brain, there are big picture influences and they, and they do operate and they do influence our behavior. And a determinist, of course, say, aha, you, you just admitted we don't have free will. And I would come back to our first discussion, which is influence is not causation. Stop confusing the two. We can be influenced by all kinds of things. In fact, we are every moment of the day. We have hundreds of influences many of which we know and dozens of which we don't. But there's nothing about it says that within a limited, contained sphere of domain, we can have influence. Nothing about those conditions says that's not possible. It doesn't say it's true, of course, but it doesn't say it's not possible. Free will cannot be excluded, dismissed on the basis that there's archetypes or any other kind of influence. And by the way, who's shaping the archetypes? It's not as if it's a one-way street. I mean, it depends, of course, on your philosophy. But I would say that human volition, if it exists, has a huge, it is what's behind the archetypes. And then the archetypes have their inertial force, which is shaping human beliefs. And from those beliefs, which are also limiting conditions, but not things that extinguish free will and a sense of dominating forces, then there's archetypes are evolving with human consciousness and volition. I'm sure that under some theories, archetypes are it and everything we're doing. And in others, it's a dynamic interplay between conscious decisions and the forces of influence. David, well said. Thank you. What was that date again for the Billionaires Club? 
<laughs> you have me very intrigued because I'm never going to get an invitation, obviously. <laughs> so I'm very intrigued. And uh, Harris wouldn't either, absent his endorsement and celebrity status. So there you go. The right idea. Maybe we should befriend him, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't have a, as good of a start on that as you do, but it's, it's something to think about. Thanks so much for having me. It's been fun. Yeah, thank you, sir. It was a really fun conversation. Thank you for writing about, you know, going in so deep into, to your point, such an important topic. It is. Well, thanks again and have a great rest of your evening. Thanks. Thanks for having me. What is free will? What is determinism? Are these our two possibilities, or could the true nature of reality be more complicated? Is there such a force as natural law, some divine function of cosmic intelligence, structuring nature in all her mathematical and fractal beauty? The philosophers who wrote the Declaration of Independence certainly believe so. The Declaration begins, The unanimous Declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The idea that humans have inalienable rights implies that we all have free will to defend, to exercise, and to suppress these rights. Yet if these rights were endowed by some creator, does that mean our lives have been predetermined? Do these concepts inherently conflict if, as I believe, the entire universe stems from one singularity of consciousness, at what point in its cosmic nature does the appearance of diversity start? What do the phenomenon of non-locality of consciousness and quantum entanglement imply about the interconnectedness of our universe? Are the heavenly bodies simply big hunks of rock spinning around the cosmos meaninglessly? Or could they represent something much, much more? Once we unpack the extra pheno extraterrestrial phenomenon and consider that perhaps there has always been non-human sentience operating here on Earth, what will that mean for the question of free will versus determinism? Are we here for a purpose, or are our lives completely random? The short answer is we don't know the answer to any of these questions. But we should keep an open mind. We should avoid the human inclination to tribe up and say our options are this or that. When we consider these deep existential questions, we do well to remember the wise words of philosopher Forrest Gump. I don't know if Mama was right or if, it, if it's Lieutenant Dan. I don't know if we each have a destiny or if... We're all just floating around accidental like on a breeze. But I, I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time.